Welcome to Game of Books Podcast. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. And I'm Christy in South Florida. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and mystery through interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors. And our virtual book club. And even our fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us on today's adventure. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Sarah Lynn Richard. Yes, Sarah Lynn is coming to us from Galveston, Texas, which we all know went through some rough weather uh, last month. So a lot of listeners did too, and we'll be interested to talk to her about what she went through, maybe. Um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds very awful. I mean, just horrific, kind of similar to the last year we've all had, right? So. Um, it'll be interesting to um, hear any tips she has about writing through a pandemic and a national uh, terrible storm. Yeah. <laughs> but let me give some background first before we get into all the details. So um, mystery and children's book author Sarah Lynn Richard has won the Killer Nashville Reader's Choice Award in 2019 for her first novel, uh, Murder in the 1%. The book was also a finalist for the Killer Nashville Award for Best Procedural Novel in 2019. And she's gotten all kinds of other kudos and honors. And um, the second title in that series, the Detective Parrot (laughs) Mystery Series, um, A Palette for Love and Murder, um, also has won Reader's Favorite um, in the category of Mystery and Suspense, placed as a finalist in the 2020 International Book Fest competition. Um, We could go on. Um, But she's also written a children's book, Naughty Nana. And I will say her Instagram handle is based upon that. Um, And that has reached thousands of children in five countries. Sarah Lynn is a member of the International Thriller Writers and Mystery Writers of America. She has lived in New Orleans, St. Louis, Chicago, and now Galveston, Texas. So Sarah Lynn, welcome to Game of Books Podcast. It's great to see you. So much. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Us too. Us too. And we're glad you got power and everything down there. Power and a heated shower, she told us today after three weeks. (laughs) Yeah. Woo. So listen, if you're listening, you should definitely get on YouTube because she looks gorgeous. Um, Okay, so obviously we need to talk about the first things first. Let's talk about wine, Christy. What are we drinking? Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So um, first I'll tell you what I chose and then I'll explain why I chose it. Um, We've got the Bel Posto Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. Okay, Okay, I don't know my Italian. Um, but it's a, it's, it's, you know, a nice, um, red wine that has inviting aromas of cherries and spices that explode from the glass to offer a fine, fresh and well orchestrated palate, which is interesting. Cause we just talked about, you know, your book with a palette on the front, different one. <laughs> so, um, anyway, um, the reason why I chose it and you guys can go ahead and have a sip and see how you like it, but, um, it's, sure, um, I was re- from reading murder, a murder of principle. There wasn't any wine drinking cause it's set in a high school basically. <laughs> so I went with one of the dinners and they had also buco. so I said, all right, let me look this up. And then I found out that your first mystery novel murder in the 1% began with an elegant dinner party for 13 old friends where they had a nine course meal, which sounds wonderful to me with wine pairings 
And that when you did the research on that dinner party, it cost over $28,000 for the wine. That was just for the wine. I know. And I'm like, well, that's out of our price range. Sorry. I mean, I looked on it and they they had the Chateau Lafitte Rothschild 1982, which goes for like maybe if you can get it cheap for $2,000 a bottle or something. So I stuck with this. It goes with Asobuco. So it's nice. And it's. Ten dollars or less, you know. So and mine was even less than that. But look how gorgeous it looks with Sarah Lynn's book, The Principle yeah. of Murder Principle. It's a perfect yeah. match. I know, there I you know. Go. And also, you know, I should tell our foodies out there that um, you have a recipe booklet of the Epicurean feasts um, that our listeners can get free if they sign up for your newsletter on your on SarahLynnRichard.com, which we'll put on our show notes and everything. So you guys can click on it. Um, you want to tell anybody some of the recipes are in that are in that? Well, it's, it's all from the nine course menu from the party at Brandywine Valley. So there are halibut cheeks. That's one of the, one of the courses and rack of lamb. Mm, I love lamb is one of the courses and, uh, base. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's made with imported French fish. Mm. It comes from France. Okay. Well, then it, it's authentic for sure. It, it that must have been, right? been pretty fun to research. This, yeah. this is a menu to die for. Yeah. <laughs> so in the recipes, do we have to order our, fr- our fish from? Um, no. Okay, good. <laughs> the, the fish in bouillabaisse is called loop. It's spelled L-O-U-P-E. Oh. And that is like the stock of bouillabaisse. If you go to a French restaurant, that's the mm-hmm. fish that they use. So there are copycat bouillabaises that don't use that fish. They use alternative fishes. Mm-hmm. But um, is, that, is that fish found anywhere else? Like, could it have a different name? No, okay. No, no it's, a, it's a really fancy menu. And it I sounds like it was a blast. I actually went to a party like that. Oh, and nice. That was what inspired the writing of that book. Oh. And then you wanted to kill somebody after? <laughs> I was sitting around after the after that fancy dinner and I said, you know, this would be a great setting for a mystery. <laughs> Lovely evening, but I think we need to kill somebody now. <laughs> Maybe they're poisonous halibut cheeks or something. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to read that one because yeah. we, I haven't read that one yet. So I'm going to have to read okay. that. Okay. All right. So, and I were talking about our dogs. My dog is now barking because. Oh, of- see, I didn't even notice because. You don't? Just- oh, good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, I guess, on some level, but it was like, yeah. I don't know. May is usually so quiet. I don't know. Yes, but done. we're having a. a- Re, an oddly warm day here in South Dakota for February. And so everybody in the tri-state area is out for a walk in my neighborhood and is making her go crazy. Yeah, anyway. yeah we're pretty warm here. It's like close to 90. But um, anyway, okay, so I want to start with mentioning your latest book, A Murder of Principle. Um, this mystery takes a lot of twists and turns through the halls of a high school full of murder just saying. So I'm wondering what inspired you to write this story? And please tell me it's not based on a real high school somewhere because that's scary. Well, I I am an educator. I I spent 
a lot of years, a lot of decades in high schools. I was okay. first an English teacher, and then I was a school administrator, and then I was a school improvement consultant. So I have been in probably, I've been working in probably a hundred different high schools. Wow. And so when I, when I wrote this book, I was thinking about writing what you know, that, that old maxim. And I thought, well, I don't know any high schools because I've spent so much time in there and I, I've seen how high schools are like a microcosm of society as a whole. There's, there's so much uh, dynamics going on all the time and, and all of the human emotions exist in a high school. There are jealousies and anger and um, competition and all the, just everything, every kind of emotion that happens in society, it happens in a school. And people don't really talk about that. You know, everyone's school experiences are mostly from when they were students. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's a different, different perspective. It's, it's, I mean, it's there's drama, but <laughs> because students don't even know all the things that go on behind the scenes in a high school. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say teachers don't really know it all either. Right. And administrators come closest, I think, to knowing it all because they're kind of in charge of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but even they don't know it all. No. Right. So I thought, you know, I could put to use all of my knowledge about high schools and at the same time create a fun mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, with quirky characters and, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, some behind the scenes glimpses at how mm-hmm. schools are run and some of the problems that school people have to address. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was writing the book, my husband said to me, I don't think people are going to be that interested oh. <laughs> in uh, what goes on in a high school because, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, it's just too ordinary. Everybody's been in high school. So it's not any exceptional thing to write about high school. <laughs> and and I beg to differ with that. And I, yeah. you know, I mean, I all the books, were... go ahead. A lot, yeah. I was gonna say a lot of books are based on just ordinary things. I mean, there's your household can be a murder place, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody knows what that is. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a unique way of so I had, I had a few stories to tell and um, no, they're not fact-based. Good. <laughs> um, they're not <laughs> fact-based. Um, although everybody that I know who works in schools who has read this book says, this is about my school. Really? They're, they're all telling me, I know somebody, I can match up every one of these characters to wow. someone in my school. Sherilyn, that's going to be one of the ultimate compliments for a writer to have that translate to so many different, because, you know, a South Dakota high school versus a Texas high school versus, you know, urban, small Mm -hmm. town. Mm -hmm. That's a really huge compliment. And and it's also a testament to how universal these experiences are. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first finished the book, it was at the time when all of the school shootings were taking place. And so I sat on this book for, you know, 
school shootings wound me. Uh, they, they're very painful for me mm -hmm. to, to know about. Um, yeah, the, the... I, I love schools and I love students and I love the people who work in schools. And so I just pulled back and I thought it would be insensitive to put this out because there is a murder in the school. Yeah. Right. Although it's not a mass murder and it's right. It's, it's very different. It's You're very right, different but... from that, but I still felt like it was not the right time for this book. Mm -hmm. So I sat on it and then in the interim, we've had the, the me too movement and this book deals with sexual harassment mm -hmm. and we've had the black lives matters mm -hmm. movement and this book deals with race relations. Mm -hmm. We've had police issues. We've had um, gangs in the news. Mm -hmm. And so a, a lot of the things that are in the plot of this book are timely. Yeah, it's truly a microcosm, like you said. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like this is the time, this book's time has come. Mm -hmm. Did you have it written and you kind of had it shelved for a little bit of time? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I wrote it in between the two Detective Parrot books. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, Lynn, I'm very curious about your lengthy history education and the translation from that into writing and that leap. How did you, how did you start writing? When did you start writing? Well, I think I started writing when I was about five. Real, I'm, I'm serious. I started reading when I was really, really young and I was, I've always been a really avid reader. And as soon as I could write, I started writing. And when I was in high school, uh, I had two English teachers who really nurtured my writing and oh, that's wonderful. That was talented. And one of them, <laughs> she would like to be on this with me today. Oh. <laughs> She's kind of invited her. She <laughs> She comes to a lot of my Zooms and oh. a lot of my bookstore uh, dates. And so she's still encouraging my career. All right. Give her a shout out. What's yeah. her name? Mary Almond. She's all famous. right. She's just Thank you, happy. Mary Almond. I mean, yeah. she probably is a little bit responsible for your career because she helped you, you know, with the, all that encouragement. Mm -hmm. So she told me that I had to be a writer. So I came home from school that day and I told my parents. I'm going to be a writer. And my parents said, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, no, no, that's not a real job. Yeah. So, um, so I put that aside and I got my teaching certificate. I fell in love with teaching when I started doing student teaching. And it was a fabulous career. I mean, so many so many experiences, so many wonderful people in my life, so many just universes open to me through teaching and education. So I have no regrets about that. But that career really kept me busy, especially when I got into administration and consulting. So I really couldn't write during those years. I had lots of stories that I wanted to write. I had lots of thoughts about, oh, this would make a great book and that would make a great book. And I was collecting them, but I didn't have the time to really do sustained writing. And you need that, you know, 
So um, I didn't really start writing until after I stopped consulting. Mm -hmm. So now I still teach, but I only teach once a week. I teach two classes a week at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. Oh, that's great. And that permits me to do writing. And then this pandemic has given me a, a like writer's license, you know, Yeah, <laughs> you have nothing else to do. So this is a great time. This is a great time to live in the minds of your characters. And, and it has really been a saving grace for me because I don't have to be in this pandemic. I can mm -hmm. be in a different time, a different place, a different person having, you know, lots of action take place that's not taking place in real life and um so well, that's it's really been wonderful yeah that is a wonderful way of looking at it i mean yes. so many of, a, of a, us other writers and stuff have found like it's just you know we were the opposite we we're like but when you look at it that way when you say okay this is my way of being free rather than oh gosh, I can't think because I've got all this stress, yeah. um, then that really opens it up. And I think that will, uh, you know, the silver oh, even some approach. listeners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Sir Lynn, before we leave the topic of education, I, I, I just am so curious to ask what your thoughts are about the challenges that um, educators and learners are facing during this COVID time. It's a hard question for me to answer a very personal question because I have family members who are really adversely affected. I think that a whole generation of kids is going to be undereducated. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, you know, depending on what grade level they're at right now, mm -hmm. I think it's going to affect them throughout their education because you can't recoup these missing years. Yeah. I sometimes think they, they should, you know, they should just say, look, we're going to all repeat the, the last year. So what if you're a year older? I mean, we all live longer, I guess. Um, so I but. also, I, I wonder about, you know, the, the, just the immense pressures and burdens that educators have faced this last year. I wonder if a lot of them will, I, I hope, I, I hope not, but leave the profession or, you know, have some real, you know, just PTSD kind of, fallout from this year yeah. and their concern for their students and it's a heavy question but i it, it's a real really important issue for us to talk I, about. i'm sure some will leave but yeah. i'm also sure that i know some teachers who are still teaching at my different schools that that i've been at and the really dedicated teachers are just knocking themselves out trying yeah. to address kids needs and make class fun and engage and still stay safe you know, and keep really their family safe it's such a such a stressful thing yeah it is but it's amazing to see though what some teachers have done like the amazing yeah. things that they're doing mm -hmm. i just like you just yeah. the the um depth to which educators will go to reach their yeah. students has been yeah. so beautiful to see i think mm -hmm. But I do think I do think there will be deficits, though. And, yeah, yeah. And I think that we'll see it in society too. Yeah. Because yeah. these kids will graduate, and they won't be, uh, they won't be as good at reading or math right. or problem solving or decision making. They 
they will have, you know, they will have some problems. Mm-hmm. And then they're mm-hmm. going to be the teachers. And so yeah. that's going to affect later generations. Mm-hmm. That's pro- mm-hmm. self-perpetuating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, I think we need to, we need to lighten this up. <laughs> we do too. We yeah, do too. How about so, some wine? Here is Sarah. Yes. Okay. Cheers. So Sarah Lynn, this is the point where we have a little midway stop for fun. And we do what we call the question in the bottle. It's maybe the kind of a conversation you might have at the bottom of a bottle after a bottom of a bottle. <laughs> All right. So question you can pass. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're fun. Okay. So, yeah. And this one is a pretty fun one. It is what food have you never eaten, but would really like to try? Mm. That's perfect. I know. (laughs) We stumped her. Is that right? Um, There are some that I would never like to try. Well, how come you would never like to try them? Well, for one thing, I have a, I have a real fear of snakes. Oh, oh, yeah, no, I agree, hundred percent. So there's just no way. I know people who have tried snake meat. Really? Yeah. No. And no. we eat alligator down here. <laughs> I, I know. love alligator. I know. <laughs> it is really good. <laughs> and, if it's and maybe right. that is the answer to your question. Because <laughs> I have been to Tunks in um, Alexandria, Louisiana, and their specialty is alligator. And I've been there, and I was too chicken oh. <laughs> to try it. Um, but it tastes they, like chicken. Yeah, that's what everybody says. It's sort of a com. I think it's like a cross between chicken and fish in my mind. Um, but yeah, you would like it if you had it fried. You wouldn't even know. Anything fried? I've gotten I've gotten people to try it, and they're like, "What is this?" And then they're like, "It's good, but what is it?" And I'd be like, "Alligator." And they're like, "What?" Everything is better fried. Everything's better fried. (laughs) I always my answer is. You can tell she's from Texas. I'm just gonna eat chicken. Yeah. Well, frog's legs. I've never had frog's legs. I haven't. Either. I just can't think of Kermit. You know, <laughs> I can't think of. I have oh, had them. I'm not a fan though, because they are not as good. I don't think. And also, I I always think of high school biology class and right. dissecting the frog and looking. Right. And the smell of formaldehyde. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. the association. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well. Well, we'll have you down here for some alligator. <laughs> I, Sarah Lynn and I will um, choose to pass on the alligator, I think, Christy. No, you're trying it. <laughs> I'll try it. It's good. I can even make it. You can make alligator stew. Okay. All right. Forrest Gump, let's stop. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Sarah Lynn, I, I just, first of all, I love following you on social media because Sarah Lynn has this really great thing where like a ton of people in different walks of life are reading her book and it's so funny to see what they're doing and just they're just sitting there cracked open with her book a principle of murder principle so fun but i saw just maybe two days ago or something on facebook that you just finished your first draft of a new book a thriller right that's my pandemic novel i okay so this is the question i have for you not only have you been through a pandemic but you've been through a horrific natural disaster right. down there in Texas. Right. So, but you're still writing 
Right. Without hot showers, by the way. I, I don't understand that. But anyway, I would like to know what tips you could give new writers. Uh, what's working for you? What do you what are your go-tos? Any things you want to share about what works for you in the writing world? I have a few. I teach creative writing, so I have many tips. Yay. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but one of them I got from Eric Larson. I was teaching a creative nonfiction unit and I asked him for advice to give my students and he gave me this advice and it's wonderful and I use it myself all the time and he said stop in the middle that was his advice stop in the middle and I said to him do you mean in the middle of a chapter in the middle of a paragraph in the middle of a sentence what do you mean stop in the middle? And he said, any of those. Just when you stop a writing session, stop in the middle. Don't just end at the end of a chapter because that makes it hard to get started again the next Interesting. time you write. But if you stop in the middle, then you know where you're going and you can just zoom right into your next writing session. Oh, I love that. I, I got to say, that is I that. so, I've, I haven't yeah. heard that before, but I, when I think back onto the days when, you know, I'm like in the middle of something and then I get called away, I'm ready to go back because I do, you know, versus the days where I get to the end of the chapter and I'm like, oh, Okay, what are now, we what do? should I do next? And well, that, then you're looking at resistance, right? Where if, if you stop in the middle, you know exactly what to take off with. I love that. Right. Yeah. And it wastes Great time advice. if you stop at the end and, and then you're like, okay, where am I going to go now? Then your writing time is consumed with thinking time. Whereas if you stop in the middle, you don't need to think that through. Uh -huh. Right. The thought has already been done. That's so that's great. really uh, uh, something that I do all the time. And then when I give an assignment to my students, there's one requirement for all of their homework. And that is that they have to have fun. <laughs> I they love that. have to have fun. If it's not fun when they're writing it, then it's not going to be fun for the reading. Yeah. Mm. So it's a requirement. Like if they're sitting there and it's, they're just obsessing about it and saying, I can't do this. And I'm, you know, uh -huh. then stop, just stop the writing, get up, go take a break and come back to it fresh because you have to have fun. Oh. Right. And that turns, their writing is just amazing oh. because of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, great advice. Those great are advice. two excellent pieces of advice that we should all, I mean, every day, there should be some joy in this process, right? Yep. All right. Yep. All right. So um, I'm going to say that in addition, we talked about a little bit, in addition to the standalone, you have the Detective Parrot mystery series. And I did read A Palette for Love and Murder. And um, I really enjoyed the mystery as well as how you delved into um, PTSD and how art therapy can help. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought you wrote the character's journey so intimately. And, I, and I'm wondering if you can tell us a little on how and why you chose to include this topic. Well, in Murder in the 1%, Parrot is engaged to Tanya. And she is a Navy SEAL. So, and she's in Afghanistan. So 
they only communicate through Zooms, FaceTime, Skypes, whatever, um, throughout the book. That she's a, a faraway character. Mm -hmm. But you know that she is having some really difficult experiences. You know she's going through things. And she's not always able to tell him what she's going through because she's in the service. It's, it's top secret what the Navy right. Seals do. And so he's not really a part of that, the life that she's leading over there. He, they talk like once a week, mm -hmm. um, but they don't really get into all of that. So at the end of Murder in the 1%, she comes back and they get married and A Palette for Love and Murder starts off when they're still newlyweds. And you know that they're not going to have just this smooth, happy <laughs> path because no characters ever do. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so her past in Afghanistan rears its ugly head early in their marriage. And that becomes a backdrop to the case that he's solving. Mm -hmm. And through uh, that's really the subplot mm -hmm. to the case and through some uh, plot intersections, some coincidences, the two plots intertwine. And I think bring it brings light to both of them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's some wisdom that comes from one of the plots to the other and then from that one to to the first one. Right. Yeah. It does come together. And I'm, and have you, um, like, have you talked to anybody that does art therapy with PTSD? I mean, how did you research this to yes. come up with this? Yes. Well, I have a relative who has PTSD and was in Afghanistan. Oh, um, yeah. So I, I'm sure that was in the back of my mind when I wrote Tanya's character from the very mm -hmm. beginning. Um, I also, in one of my education jobs, I was the fine arts chairperson. Oh. So I, <laughs> I know All a lot. full circle, Sarah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot about art. Uh, art was a, a concentration of mine in college. I studied art history and, and I studied a lot about art professions, like what art can do for you, what music can do for you. And um, so art therapy and music therapy and even literary therapy, um, all of those can really help people who are going through difficult times. Yes, definitely. And wow. one, of, one of the classes I teach is called literary tapas. And we read little oh. pieces of literature and we discuss them using Socratic questioning. Oh, and wow. one of the one of the people in the class calls it group therapy with literature. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is because yeah. we, you oh. know, the themes and the things that we talk about, the characters that we talk about in the stories, um, they all help us mm -hmm. in our lives too. So right. I think that's what the arts as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, do absolutely for people they really allow us to think at high levels 
to analyze things and synthesize things and, mm -hmm. and they make us more whole. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's beautiful. <sighs> oh, that just made me feel so good. Carolyn, uh, uh, we've been such a joy having you with us today. But before mm -hmm. we go, Christy has one more. Okay. Which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? <laughs> I, I just love all of my characters. <laughs> she can't pick. A Maybe face. it's going to be the 13 dinner. I think it's going to be more than 13 dinner. Um, I, I don't know who I would want to choose. Um, I really like RJ Stoker. Oh, who's the principal at, um, I know. I liked him school. too. I did too yeah. before. I really, <laughs> I really love him. I know. No, no, no. no. <laughs> like, yeah, I did too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I don't know what kind of meal he would like, but um, I have shared meals with people who remind me of RJ Stoker mm. and they're kind of hearty mm -hmm. down home kind of meals like barbecue and mm. uh, mac and cheese and oh yeah um yeah <laughs> <laughs> you no know, seriously it's southern cooking at its finest man i love it comfort food love throw it. some yeah. alligator in there <laughs> yeah throw some alligator in and then we got it made all Christine right kind of tortured us a little bit okay <laughs> Lynn, I know that um, our listeners are going to want to reach out to you and learn more about you. What is the best way to find out information? How do they reach out to you? Well, I have a website, which is sarahlynrichard.com. Um, tricky spelling. Only one N. <laughs> Only one N and no S on Richard. I know. That was hard for me. I'm, I'm like, how many? We will. We we'll share it, right. it on our social media and on here's our how, here's how it's spelled. Sarah, right. right. Look at that. And that and Richard's my dad's name, so I'll remember. Oh, okay. Sarahlynrichard.com. And if you want to join my newsletter, which comes out monthly and has tons of really fun content and opportunities to interact with not just with me, but with each other. Oh, that's cool. Um then sign up on that website for the newsletter and I'll send you the Epicurean Feasts booklet. And so we're um, signing up and then we're going to go to France and cook the bouillabaisse. And, and we'll have some fun. That yeah. sounds great. I love great. that. Well, you know, this has been such a fun conversation and I guess all we have left to do is a toast hey, to cheers. Sarah Lynn Richards. Cheers to you, Sarah Lynn, and your book. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on today's adventure. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube, where you can watch and listen. On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter or enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Cheers.